0: This ABA Journal podcast is brought to you by Westlaw Next, building on the strength of Westlaw to bring you the next evolution of legal research. Their most significant innovation in 30 years, it's a complete research system that gives you confidence you've found the most relevant information and it elevates productivity with intuitive workflow tools. Learn more at westlawnext.com. General counsel often ban first-year associates from working on their projects, yet many believe that big law firms are great training grounds for future in house counsel. Can outside and inside counsel agree on what's the appropriate work for young lawyers and how much it should cost? I'm Stephanie Francis-Ward, and that's what we're discussing today at the ABA Journal Podcast. We're joined by Leah Cooper, the former managing attorney at Rio Tinto, who now leads strategy and development for the legal outsourcing company, CPA Global, Bill Henderson, a law professor at Indiana University, whose work focuses on the economics and structure of the legal profession, Paul Irving, a former managing partner of Manat, Phelps & Phillips, who is now a senior advisor with firm and a fellow with Harvard University's Advanced Leadership Initiative, Matt McDonald, a partner of Drinker Biddle, James Steigerwald, the hiring partner at Dwayne Morris, and Mike Roster, the former general counsel of Golden West Financial Corp., who now leads the steering committee of the Association of Corporate Counsel's Value Challenge. Mike, what are you hearing about general counsel banning first-year associates from working on projects?
1: Well, first of all, this isn't a new event. For the last five, even ten years, I think general counsel has been concerned, but the economic meltdown created much more pressure. I think the simple answer is most say they don't want first, second, and sometimes even third-year associates because the rates are too high, that is, they're too expensive, and they don't come across as knowing what they're doing. I think if you dig a little deeper, and many general counsels who are thoughtful about it do, um, you, you look at the incentives of the current law firm system. Uh, one incentive, and it starts in law school but goes on to the law firm, is you get rewarded by identifying issues, not delivering solutions. And the corporate client wants solutions. And I don't care if it's a first-year lawyer or a senior partner. I don't want to hear them twisting and turning. I want to hear solutions. And second, and the tough one, is the incentive of billing hours. Uh, They're rewarded in every way by billing hours. And somewhere along the line, the general counsel representing the company is saying, I can't pay for the spinning around that they're doing.
0: Okay. Matt, have you had many clients request that junior lawyers not work on their matters? And if so, what was your response?
2: We have seen, uh, I think I agree with everything that Mike just said. I mean, we have seen that clients have been asking not to have junior lawyers either work on their matters at all, or we will find that clients come back and question the time of junior lawyers uh, much more strenuously than they might on, uh, you know, than other lawyers working on a matter. I mean, I think there's a perception that, you know, if you look at an hour of time from a junior lawyer, there's a, there's a certain level of, a certain percentage of ramp-up time or wheel spinning or, you know, just sort of they don't know what they're doing, so they're kind of learning on my dime. Uh, I mean, frankly, when a client sort of raises those issues, we'll often talk to them about the best way to structure their their matter efficiently. I mean, that's certainly something we strive to do in all of our representations and make sure they're getting the right level of service, you know, the right team. Um, You know, so to the extent that we can, you know, essentially convince them that, you know, this really is a more efficient way to do things, We'll certainly try to do that, but uh, in most cases, we will just, you know, honor the wishes of the client, um, you know, on a case-by-case basis. A- a- as a whole, at our firm, and-, and we can certainly talk about this a little bit later. Um, we have recently adopted uh, kind of a-, a-, a new training and apprenticeship program here, you know, partially in response to the ACC Value Challenge, um, where we've tried to take some different approaches to how we train our junior associates, so that when you know, our, our associates come out of this training process, we can say to the clients, look, this is a good and valuable person that is going to earn their keep on your matter.
0: It, Paul, has the request come up when you were in Manat? And if so, what did you say?
2: Stephanie came up from time to time,
3: although although I have to say, I, I don't think specifically uh, relating to, to first years or beginning associates by, by very many clients. I, I think it was just kind of a more general expression of concern and frustration about the value that clients were really getting from uh from relatively new new lawyers and I think what it uh, what it demonstrates is that law firms have failed to make a case that in general that that uh, training associates is important not only for the firm but for for the client and um and I think to an extent it also represents represents a failure or maybe at least a challenge of legal education in in that in addition to training technical skills, uh, you know, young lawyers and 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 and, and uh, law students certainly need to be focusing on um, uh, judgment and interdi- interdisciplinary problem-solving skills, and really ca- kind of trying to understand what the client is going through, uh, so that there's some sense of alignment with client with client interests. And I, I think that that's a, a failure of, of the profession. I think more and more. Um, general counsel are, are concluding that kind of the law firm model is broken and it needs some reinvention and I actually think as as I think our White House chief of staff uh, said at the beginning of of this presidential administration that that um you shouldn't waste a good crisis, and I think this is an opportunity for law firms not to waste the the crisis presented by our our financial challenges to kind of rethink their model how are they delivering services and how are specifically are they delivering value
4: from young lawyers. Jim, what do you think about that? Um, well, I, I think my experience has been um, uh, similar in that we haven't received blanket instructions, you know, don't put any junior associates on our files. We haven't really received that much. Um, but clients, of course, are, are looking for the, the best service at the lowest prices, you know, the best value, which I think is, has always been consistent, but uh, there's, there's even more attention to that now. Um, and we see it at all, at all levels, really, um, whether it's a junior associate or a junior partner or, um, you know, a senior partner or anywhere in between. Um, folks are saying, you know, how are you staffing my case and why? Um, I think you can deal with a lot of that up front um, by talking to the client and, uh, you know, coming to an agreement as to how, how to best staff the case and that's what we try to do. I think you can also avoid a lot of those problems by uh, not charging high rates for junior associates and then uh, you know, explaining to the client that uh, it actually has been a, a value-added exercise to use the junior associate as, uh, as part of the team. So I think if you deal with it up front um, and you are communicating with the client often about it, uh, there is a role for, for junior associates on, uh, on, on many assignments.
0: Bill, as someone who studies the economics and structure of the profession, what do you think this exchange we just had says about where the profession is headed in terms of private practice and large law firms?
5: Well, I think it's emblematic that we're definitely at a uh, an inflection uh, point because I think the depth of this uh, conversation is much more uh, I think uh, Mike said It's, it, it's n- the idea is nothing new but maybe the uh, the uh, intensity of the dialogue is increased primarily brought about by the uh, by the uh, financial meltdown. I was at a, a group of general counsel oh about uh, a month ago and uh, the question was asked how many of you uh, um, uh, 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 give instructions to reduce or eliminate uh, the use of junior associates in about half people raise their hand in the room. So I, I think that this is a fairly uh, common practice that's growing. And I think that the reason why it's growing is is that the um, general counsel, not only are they trusted advisors to the C-suite executives, but their manager is charged with a large amount of uh, expenses that they're accountable to, to the corporation. And uh, they just can't deal with 6 to 8% uh, rate increases, which is what they were able to do. Uh, in uh, the last say 10, uh, 20 years, and it primarily because of supply and demand, there was there's been a huge surge in demand for corporate legal services. Some driven by uh, innovations on Wall Street, some driven by uh, more and more regulation from Washington. A lot of it driven by international uh, commerce. And and um, general counsel trying to deal with this have, have have paid the marquee firms, or the brand name firms, the going rate. But now we're talking about a hundred million dollars. Of legal outside legal spend or 50 million dollars of legal spend, and the question becomes, what kind of value am I getting? And these are sophisticated consumers. I think Leah is a representative on that front of sophisticated uh, uh, financial consumers, and as a matter of fact, I think a thought leader on that uh, front. And they're looking for uh, value. We're finding a critical mass where 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 uh, corporate uh, GCs slash money managers have to figure out how to allocate. Their legal spend and it comes back. They're just you're not seeing the value there. Uh, the junior associates are being billed out at two fifty, two seventy five an hour as first years. Any general counsel just knows that they're, they're, you're not getting good answers or answers that are worth that kind
6: of money.
0: Well, indeed, Lea, what do you have to say about that? Well, well, first,
6: thanks. I appreciate the, the kind words, but I think it's exactly right. The, the general counsel is in a new role. The the general counsel has to be um, a, a manager of a cost center, the, the, the legal department, the in-house legal team generates no revenue and spends um, a substantial amount of money. And it's incumbent upon the general counsel to manage that and be fiscally responsible for the corporation. I mean, I now in my new role at CPA Global, I talk to GCs literally every day of the week, and there's loads of this not on my dime um, mentality out there. And, and what I've heard from from each of you is it is about value, but then we have to ask ourselves, what's valuable work for for a young lawyer and um, you're right, you're not going to get great uh, strategic legal advice from a first-year lawyer, second-year lawyer, um, and, and I think the GCs recognize that. I think one of the pain points for an in-house um, lawyer when they go to sign off on the bill is actually paying 275 $300 an hour for non-legal work. And I think that that's the part where the law firms really need to, the, to take a hard look and say, you know, what are the lawyers doing here you know, if they're, if they're spending loads of time um, drafting responses to interrogatories or plowing through documents or, or um, doing um, some sort of legal research, are they doing it in a, in a time-efficient um, way? Um, should this lawyer actually have his or her own secretary instead of spending hours typing his own documents? Because, you know, we don't want to pay $300 an hour for typing, and, and frankly, that's what's happening. Go ahead, Mike.
1: Uh About what Bill mentioned on cost, and it's a broader issue than just the new associates. The corporate executive board study several years ago shows that cost U.S. companies for their outside services and inside went up about twenty percent in the last ten years, except legal went up seventy-five percent. And so the (laughs) pressure is on the general counsel. What in the world is happening with this cost structure? Hmm.
0: And Lee, what I wanted to ask you about is, is tell us about some of the work you're, between the corporate councils, law firms, legal services, outsourcing providers. How How do those relationships develop and work?
6: Well, uh, as a a legal outsourcing company, what CPA Global does is we position ourselves as a key player in a tripartite relationship. You know, it's about segmenting the right work to the right people in a very cost-effective way. And and so, um, you know, one of the the misconceptions about um, legal services outsourcing is that we're seeking to to replace the law firms. And actually, um, it's it's just the opposite. We want to work and collaborate with the corporate client, the law firm and and figure out sort of, you know, the, the in-house legal team is best placed to to understand the needs of the business and give the strategic advice back to the business. They, they need the outside um, law firms to give that top-tier um, legal advice. And where the LSO provider can come in is doing some of the, the lower... Um, complexity the lower value work if you will and i hate to say it's not valuable it's work that needs to get done but we can take some of that that uh, low complexity work off the plates of the in-house lawyer or the the law firm lawyer do it at a a much cheaper rate um, and give that general counsel some additional value it's really about getting lawyers back to practicing law and not um, pushing paper, frankly. You know, we'll, there's, there, there's always paper to be pushed. We're saying, you know, those 500 little things that need to get done in a transaction or the 500 things that need to get done in a document review or a piece of litigation, we'll do those things for you. You focus on the big stuff. Where are you going to um, help me the most? And that's the the proper strategic legal advice. Well, And, Leah, I'm curious.
0: What tasks do you think are appropriate for first-year associates on Client Matters?
6: You know, I, I think that um, th- there are, are lots of things that a junior lawyer should be doing and can be doing, and it's about assisting um, the, the lawyers he or she are working for in the process and developing that strategic legal advice. So if you look at um, legal research, for example, now as a, um, uh, an LSO provider, we do a lot of legal research, but we are not a law firm, and we don't practice law, so we don't offer up legal conclusions. So, if you use the, the example of legal research, what my teams could could possibly do would be to to do a lot of the the legwork on that research for the junior lawyer. We could plow through um, you know hundreds of cases on LexisNexis and provide them to the junior lawyer, and have the junior lawyer start learning how to interpret and um, do analysis and give the partner the information he or she needs what what you're finding and it kind of goes back to my example a minute ago about typing is when i think legal research is appropriate for junior lawyers but if the lawyer is going to spend six hours on lexus just summon through cases that's not his highest and best use his highest and best use is going to be um, understanding those cases um, writing about them and explaining them back to the partner so it's it's about getting the right people to do the right tasks if 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 the law firm has a good librarian and maybe the the lawyer doesn't have to do his or own uh, his or her own research, that's great but what we've seen is that paralegals have gone away, library staffs have gone away, secretaries have gone away, and so these young lawyers are now doing so much of this type of work themselves
1: and the firms get away with it because they get the bill for it
6: <laughs> exactly.
0: Uh, Paul, what do what, you have thoughts on what she just said?
1: Yeah, uh,
3: look, uh, I, I agree with Leah, and I, I certainly think that this is the direction that the profession uh, is going in, and, and, and should going sh- should be going in. Um, I, I, I think ultimately the role of, of junior associates should be to be to be trained to become partners, which is kind of a, a historical notion, but but I, I, I think still true. Uh, we've we've turned uh, junior associates through leverage models and and the like into commodity providers. Those those commodity services can be uh, handled much less expensively and probably much more efficient efficiently by by outside service providers and by paraprofessionals and and others depending on on the model. And so what I really think is we need to in some way return to and it it certainly won't be what existed um, 30, 40, 50 years ago, but but I I suspect many of us on the phone grew up in more of a residency model where with lower compensation and more time we had the opportunity to follow partners around and actually observe the process of of judgment and counsel and strategic thinking uh, on a real-time basis. That's what turns people uh, into good lawyers. Good lawyers aren't plumbers. They're architects. Uh, and unfortunately, we've created a generation of, of plumbers.
0: Paul, do you think it's possible to get back to that? Yeah, I do. And, and Matt and Jim, what do you think? Well,
2: well this is Matt. I mean, I, I think that I, I think we, as a firm uh, at Drinker, have have sort of taken on board what Paul has said. I mean, I, I think going back to his comment about not letting a crisis go to waste. Um, I mentioned before that we've adopted a, a new uh, training program that we ran for our incoming associates last fall. Uh, this actually, a lot of this is going to be familiar to Bill, um, uh, Bill and I, and, and some of my partners here in the corporate transactional department. Uh, had talk going into this, and Bill's also talked to the folks that are running the the core program at our firm level. And, and just a very brief overview. I mean, we we put all of our incoming first year associates last fall into a six month training and apprenticeship. Uh, program where they had no expectations as to billable hours. Um, they they came in at a, a lowered salary, uh, you know, to the extent that they were billed out on selected matters, they were billed out at a lower rate than a traditional first year would be billed out at. And the idea was that they would be involved in a core training program. Uh, at, at that time, it was six weeks long, followed by a four-and-a-half-month practice group specific program um, you know, put together by their practice group with getting, the, Matt, can
0: you tell us what the rate was, the lower rate?
2: Um you know, I I can't give you the exact number, but I think it was roughly half of what a normal first year would be billed out at. Um I I I, I just I can't think of the exact number, but I know that it was um it was a significant discount uh off of what a normal First year would be charged out to a client, but again, the idea was that the first year would, in, in, only in sort of limited circumstances, would that time ever be billed through to a client. So, you would have a, a formal training period um, where you would be doing, and and what we did in the corporate transactional department, and I know that our colleagues in litigation did it as well, really focusing on, um, you know, simulated exercises designed, you know, sort of as realistically as possible to mimic client work. You know, we use Client Matters um, as the source material for our training pro- uh, program. We didn't give them the answer. We made tools available to them and said, you need to go out and sort of find these answers. You know, we had people that, you know, played clients. And in some cases we had, you know, in the transactional side and also in litigation, we had actual clients that came in and sort of helped us with these exercises. Uh, and, and I think we thought it was a very, very effective way to sort of give them you know a whole series of you know kind of the, the seminal experiences you would have during your first two years of practice under the old model we kind of crammed into 6 months and really got them thinking at a much higher level that you know we we, get to, we try to train them to think like architects and not plumbers i mean i think that's a very good analogy um and, and sort of at the tail end of this you know you shifted from this this 100% formal training into you know what we call the apprenticeship program um, where you know the associates were assigned to in our case assigned to deal teams or they were assigned to you know active matters and they would sort of shadow the other lawyers working on it I mean they would you know contribute towards the goals uh, you know, they wouldn't necessarily supplant a billing junior associate but they would sort of support that person most of the time in a non billing role you know occasionally if there were things that they did that that's when the, the lower the lowered rate would come into play But, I mean, we were really trying to capture the model uh, that that Paul and the others were just discussing, you know, as far as really going back to the idea of teaching them a craft, uh, you know, teaching that, giving them a mental toolbox of skills and and sort of core competencies to go out and and tackle legal problems, um, but, but, you know, tackle it as professionals and not as, you know, sort of glorified paralegals or, uh, you know, sort of really commodity providers.
0: Did you have a sense of how much this program cost your firm?
2: Um, You know, I haven't seen the figures as far as, you know, sort of breaking it down into dollars, but I I actually I talked to uh, Kay Levering, who was in charge of the core training program and the program overall at the firm level, and I know that, you know, sort of well over 100 partners in the firm, you know, committed significant time to the program, and I know in our department in the corporate group we also had associates who were acting as kind of office hours associates to answer questions on specific assignments, um, you know that that gave up, you know quite a few hours. So I mean, I, we haven't sort of sat down and run the math, but I know that it was a significant commitment. And frankly, it's you know again back to the never let a crisis go to waste. Um, I think when when we saw what was happening in the economy, we came to the conclusion that the law firm model is traditionally Uh, it was starting to fall apart a little bit, Um, you know, that that's that's not exactly how it was going to work. And I think we decided this this was a turning point for us and a good opportunity to make an investment in what was otherwise a slow market, you know, to sort of really change our way of thinking and and recommit ourselves to this model. Um, And, you know, again, we we did it for the first time last fall. We're going to be doing it again this fall. Uh, I think with the lessons learned from last time around, the, the training period itself may be a little bit shorter but I think that's primarily because we think we can we can be more efficient in that, you know, you get a level of diminishing returns at some point. Um, you know, so I, I think that, you know, it was a very significant commitment.
0: I
4: think I can I can easily say that.
0: Jim, could you see this training program as something that a lot of firms might do?
4: Um, I, I think firms will take a look at that. And I think it's uh, it's something that we do a lot of as well. Um, we don't have it as formalized um, with sort of a six-month apprenticeship program, but it's certainly something that that we do quite a bit of. And I I just kind of go back to Paul's comment, which I thought was was very good. Um, I think that some of this is just the the expectations, and I think if you are looking to hire junior associates with the expectations of um, training them and developing them into partners, uh, then I think you're going about it the, the right way. Uh, I think the days of hiring a bunch of folks who you know will work for a few years, uh, reviewing documents and then run out of there, I, I think those days are, are coming to an end or, or over. Um, I've looked at this economy as a as a great opportunity for us. Um, we continued with our our summer program, and we found that so many firms had, uh, you know, drastically reduced theirs or discontinued it that uh, the quality of summer associates we got this year was just outstanding. Um, and we think if you, if you grab those folks now, you have a better chance of, of retaining them, uh, training them, and it can lead to, you know, much better lawyers in the future. So we've we looked at, really, the economy as uh, an opportunity to, to upgrade quality. Um, and I think that, uh, that's you know, uh, goes to Paul's point of, of sort of making the best of, uh, of the situation you're in.
2: Yeah, we, we've had just just to jump in quickly. We we've had a very similar experience. Uh, we also continued our summer program both last year and this year, and and had a very similar experience. So there there definitely are you know great lawyers out there.
1: I'd like and- to even push the issue a bit further. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twenty years ago and so, junior lawyers were on the front line. They were doing deals. They were in court. It's the turnover and leverage models that the firms got sloppy at that has led to the current problem that's being foisted on the junior associates. If you look at some of the most profitable firms in the country, they have very little turnover and very virtually no leverage. Their first- and second-year associates are in court. They are doing large deals. They, I have used them. They work with me directly. I love working with those first- and second-year associates. They are good. It's not that they are better than what are at other firms. It's that the firms still have the model that they're on the front line doing real work.
0: What, uh, do you mind naming some names? What firms?
1: Bartwood Beck, Wachtell Lipton. So, and one other thing, mm-hmm. it's part of the cost structure, until the meltdown, most of the firms 80, had an 85% turnover. That is, 85% of their first-year associates were gone by the end of the sixth year. And the average cost, all in cost, meaning recruiting on campus, doing other things, for each new recruit was 250 to $400,000. That's before even training them. It was true at my old firm, and as I called around at other major firms, general managing partners and others confirmed that number. That is has been insane that these most capable people at that kind of high cost would – Eighty-five percent would be gone by the sixth year, and those of us who are running corporate law departments, we're paying for that. And the reality of it is, we can't pay for that anymore.
3: And, and Stephanie, if I can just jump in for for a second, I, I think that this speaks to to another issue that presents an opportunity, and that is, I, I think, frankly, all law firm leaders, if they're honest with themselves, and and corporate counsel, and frankly, associates realize. But the system that's been adopted in response to a whole series of of pressures ranging from AMLAW to to all the things we know has really created a misalignment among these interests that that doesn't need to exist. Um, uh, We hear from millennials that they're frustrated by uh, their inability to to engage and by extended partnership tracks and, and kind of following on Mike's point. Lack of, of engagement with clients and lack of real meaning in their in their careers. Uh, the turnover obviously hurts clients. Uh, it provides frustration for, for law firms. So I think that there's actually much more common interest here than a lot of people. Absolutely. And
1: exactly. One, of the, one yeah. of the problems is, as a general counsel or other in-house lawyer, it's reading the bill. There's nothing so dramatic, and everyone should have the joy of receiving these bills and you're reading what the first, second-year associates have put down in their entries. You'd think at least someone would edit them. It just screams out, I'm
6: spinning wheels, and I'm not sure where I'm going. And you look at the bill. I I think that's right. Um, And as a a general counsel, I would read the bills. And um, the first thing I would do when I would get a bill is actually flip to the back page to see how many people worked on the matter. And and sometimes I was frankly shocked at how many different people were, were touching a particular matter because that doesn't add value either. It was, you know, it was really who knew what was going on in my, my case that, that mattered. Uh, and there were loads of people working on it, but, you know, we didn't actually know what what they were doing. If I could just go back um, a few minutes, I, I, I really commend Drinker Biddle for, for putting in um, such a robust program, and I would really encourage them to keep it up, and I would encourage them to not charge their clients for it at all. But, um, but I think it's really important to actually train lawyers to think. Um, you know, that's... Uh, and that 's what the lawyers really need to learn. I, I remember my first years' practicing law, and I sat through more depositions and took notes and wasn 't able to say a word, but you just learned by um, watching just brilliant litigators or working on a deal and and seeing what was going into that and And you had that opportunity to truly just learn and observe. But then very quickly, six months um, down the road, I was taking depositions myself, and I might have been scared to death doing it the first time, but was able to be on the front lines and and doing real work because I had been given proper training to be a lawyer and not just um, somebody truly in a legal administrative role. And so it's it's so important to get back to that. But if you go so so good on a firm who is who is really going to recognize that. But when it goes back to delivering work and, and what the general counsel is willing to pay for, um, they're just not gonna pay for training anymore. It's just it's not appropriate. You know, we they they don't um have that luxury anymore and we need to find out you know we all hear about value but it it, it you know it just keeps resonating with me that it what does that actually mean i think is um, a question that folks really need to be asking
5: well and, and Can I jump Bill in here real
0: quick yeah yeah
5: this is a mill uh, henderson um uh, no matter what anybody has to say, Leah made the thing that, 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 that uh, corporations are not going to pay for training more. <laughs> In reality, they are going to pay uh, for the, the training one way or uh, the other. Inevitably, they're, 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 they're going to have to pay for it. But I think the proper thing is to push the cost back onto the law firm and have the law firm uh, sort the thing out. The proper metric, and I'm sure Leah will agree with this, is value. And just, like, whatever it takes to train these associates, uh, you figure out how to do it. But the bottom line is is that we're not going to parse it out and pay high rates for partners and high rates for associates. That's an inefficient form of training. And if that's your form of training, we reject it out of hand.
6: No, I was just going to say I, I agree with that. And, you know, um, just, Bill, from, from your perspective, um, sorry to ask the question, Stephanie, but from your perspective, you know, where do we see the law schools going on this? Because I just wonder if, if you know, in addition to the law firms having to, to change the way they train, do we have to change the way we teach these days? Because, you know, there, there's obviously, um, you know, the, the traditional law school um, curriculum, and you, you do learn the black-letter law, but is there is there more opportunity for sort of another year of law school that is, in fact, practical rather than um, uh, academic? And I'm, I'm just wondering if... if if we see any programs like that coming um, to play, I, I I think it might be, a, you know, a, just another way that we can get lawyers to practicing law.
0: Well, I'm curious too, Bill, do you think for these training programs, I mean, I could see where they would become popular, but are the firms going to be willing to take on the cost?
5: I mean, are we talking about like a drinker biddle apprenticeship? Yeah, yeah. The, the this is It's it's funny that we're talking about uh, that. You're trying to pit, pin down Matt on how much it costs. I mean, we can add up... Uh, uh, we can add up how much it cost to have uh, their their uh, their former managing partner who's running the program, how much her time was worth, and and uh, other things. But when you cost account everybody's ca co- you know everybody's uh, time, like uh, uh, like Matt McDonald creating the problems, et cetera, And the teachers, I mean, I'm guarantee you that the cost is going to be is going to have at least six zeros on it, if not seven. But here, the thing to remember is what's the benefit? Uh, the benefit is hard to quantify. But here you have Drinker Biddle behaving like a firm investing their own time. Nothing says that you, something matters when a partner who bills out at five, six, seven hundred dollars $700 an hour spends time to be an instructor to teach things about these teachable moments. I mean, I, I think that Drinker Biddle behaved like a firm, and my inside sources say, and I won't divulge who they were, that the partners had a hell of a lot of fun uh, doing this, and they really felt it, it connected them with the junior lawyers and uh, uh, fond memories of the firm. And I think. It created a stronger core for the firm. So yeah, it cost a hell of a lot of money, uh, but the but the but the but the value uh, is probably in It is probably hard to quantify, but it's going to be very very high. And I commend Trinker Biddle because they do just what lawyers are supposed to do. They saw the opportunity and they made the judgment. And they see and and, and I really think that over the long haul, Trinker uh, Biddle is going to uh, it's going to snowball.
1: And I think there's some some other perspectives on it, too. There's a professor up in Canada who who really blew my mind when he pointed out that possibly in the next five to ten years, the law firms will take on education. That is, people don't remember or often know that I think it's less than half or even less than a third of the magic circle uh, firms in London did their lawyers go to law school. They learned law at the firm and in other ways. And the Canadian professor said, if this keeps spinning around too much, because given the cost of American law schools, we can't have these kids keep coming out with this kind of debt and still being clueless on how to practice law, that the firms may take it internal. And a variation of that, when I was head of the banking group, co-chair of the financial service group at Morrison & Forster, we created what we called Cram School. And by what bill, it isn't that costly. We took the youngsters maybe six months to a year for two days and crammed them on what was then the hot area. Uh, So they were highly competent in it. And in one case, I sent the junior associate out to a pretty major-sized bank to work on a difficult problem. Its CEO called me, and this is no joke, about a week into it and said, how long has Eric been a partner at Morrison & Forster? I said, well, actually, Eric's a second-year associate. He said, you can't be serious. My bankers... 20 years and more, work with lawyers a lot. They've been coming to me and saying, God, this guy is good. He knows what he's doing.
5: Hey, can I I, uh, jump in there and, and piggyback on Mike? Mm hmm. I'm asking permission. (laughs) And <laughs> well, uh, uh, answer uh, Leah's uh, question as well. I think I, I think uh, uh, because I've t- talked to Mike quite a bit over the years, I think I've, uh, some of his DNA is infected uh me. And he talks about uh, having law firms get into the education uh, business, and and uh, I actually think that uh, uh, that uh accelerating development to the first year of law school. Going to Leah's point is really uh, key and, and essential. And um, uh, if you look at the incentives in the legal education, in other words. Uh, don't underestimate what junior associates can do, give them challenges, but don't underestimate what a first-year law student can do. Uh, And I think that uh, if you look at the incentive structure that's been in place for the last 20, 30 years in legal education, on the day that somebody gets admitted to an elite law school, they were guaranteed one of these high, high paying jobs, and so there weren't a lot of incentives in legal education at the elite schools to innovate, because you know your inventory got sold at the you know uh, during the on campus interview after the first year of law school, and you were done and everybody had a high paying job and there was no feedback loop for uh, for uh not innovating if you're at a top uh, law school and I think uh, going to leah 's uh, point at Indiana, we have seen this just tremendous opportunity to so, say, so what happens if we actually take this seriously and we actually see what the competencies are being demanded in the, in legal education?" And we begin to drill down on these things in the first year of law school, and this this causes us to go to a uh, a first year curriculum on the legal profession uh, that uh, that's team based, and all the problems that are we give them are team based problems. The students do 360 review, uh, how well they perform in groups is part of their grade. You get what you measure. Uh, uh, there's a there's an emotional intelligence uh, component to it, and it builds upon a, a, an upper class curriculum. We're teaching a project management course this. Uh, this uh, uh, fall and we actually have an, a client. So uh, we see the opportunity to basically source for places like uh, like Dwayne Morris, Drinker Biddle, uh, Manette, at least the, 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 uh, the our students that want to practice corporate law, which is a key component here. For too long, law firms uh, hired people based upon their credentials rather than do they really want to practice corporate law. If you can separate who wants to practice corporate law, you give them the tools in law school these are the people that should be taking these jobs, these these dwindling number of jobs in the coming years, or this fixed number of jobs in the coming years.
0: Well, Jim, as a hiring partner, Wayne Morris, what do you think about what Bill just said?
4: Well, I I think he's right, and I think kind of also getting back to what, what Mike said about, you know, these folks can handle responsibility, and they want responsibility, and if you give it to them, and you let them talk to the general counsel, the um, general counsel is, I think, going to be willing to pay for it because they're going to see the value. They're going to see what these folks did. We had a, a, an extremely bright summer associate this summer who uh, took on an assignment and then spoke to the general counsel of our client, and it was, uh, it was a huge hit. And, you know, they were billed at a much lower rate, and they did it efficiently. And, and you know, obviously that's only one story, um, but it was great. And I think there are a lot of opportunities like that. And I think, you know, Mike's point about the leveraging of law firms. Uh, here we're roughly one to one. So if you're an associate, you're you're working with a partner on a matter, and you're getting responsibility, and you're you're getting a deposition earlier, and you're expected to. And if if you don't want that, if you don't want the responsibility, uh, frankly, you're you know you're in the wrong place. Uh, Mm -hmm. You're not going to last long. So I I, I think that um, we're agreeing a lot on on the type of person you're looking for. Um, You know, someone who wants responsibility. They want it early. um, They want to learn. They're going to learn. And they're going to invest the the time and effort to to do it because it's hard. It's very hard starting off.
0: Well, let's go back to this idea of plumbers versus architects. I mean, it seems like everyone agrees that if you could get back to having the young lawyers trained is, as an architect rather than a plumber, it, it made sense, sounds to me like people on all sides would really like that and be happy about that. But my question, and I'll ask Paul, as someone who's managed a law firm for a long time, how do firms get back to that?
1: And maybe
3: the first thing I should do is apologize to, to, to any plumbers who are listening to this. <laughs> we, we certainly all have respect for, for what they do. Of course, yes. Um, uh Look, Stephanie. I think it's a, it's a product of of a lot of decisions. One, again, goes to let the the leverage question: how many people are you hiring, and what are you actually expecting them to do? Uh, uh, two is this point about kind of inv- investment, you know, near term versus middle to long term. You you have to believe that there's the possibility of creating an environment in which, and particularly this generation, which is very different than the generation, I suspect, of most of the folks on uh, on the firm, you know, that you have to believe that you can make, create a compelling opportunity that they'll stick for so that it makes sense to sacrifice and potentially, frankly, lose some money for a year or two or three as you really invest the time and energy to develop um, uh, these young people into. Folks who can think and who have who, de- who demonstrate judgment and the ability to really problem solve and opportunity create and do the things the lawyers are actually paid to do. Uh, and you know, it's also a product of, of what's valued in law in law schools and what's valued in, in law firms. I mean, what's valued in law school is is a certain series of characteristics, not necessarily relating to things like active listening and creative problem solving and the like. And again, multidimensional thinking. Uh, somebody mentioned EQ. Uh, uh Earlier and in law firms what 's been uh, frankly valued over the last number of years is uh, sweat uh you know the ability to pull a sled for twenty four hours a day and not necessarily pull it well so you know the question is how you paying your your people compensation systems uh really reflect the value of organizations and I think oftentimes reward um the the wrong kinds of conduct uh not not necessarily efficient thinking or Successful problem-solving resolutions, as, as as Mike said, but really just uh, production, uh, me- measuring kind of in- inputs rather than outcomes and and, and impacts. So, um, you know, there 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 are some ideas. And by the way, I think that these things, uh, business schools, frankly, and I think uh, corporate uh, trainers on the business side are are far advanced from where we are in, in law practice. I mean, I've seen this over the last year, spending a lot of time with. Businesses were going off to McKinsey and Bain and First Boston and places like that. And I think, frankly, they are much, much better at, at developing talent than
2: law firms are.
0: So, I'm yeah. curious, too, Matt, when you did the program, what sort of feedback did you get from your associates? Uh,
2: so far, the the feedback has been very positive. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit funny because you, you get – I think they appreciate the opportunity. I think they appreciate um, – what they've been taught, I, I think that they're finding as they're going out into into the world. I mean, they, they frankly they were in training. At this point, they've been out of training less time than they were in training. So we're still, uh, you know, people are still getting up to speed. But I think that they're finding they are better equipped to to deal with situations that arise. I mean, obviously, you can't simulate every situation that might come up. Uh, you know, whether you had six months or six years, it, it just you just can't do it. Um, but, I mean, again, what we tried to focus on, and it goes a little bit to, to what some others have been saying here, um, we tried to focus on sort of instilling in them certain core competencies. Um, our firm adopted kind of in conjunction with the training program a series of core competencies for all lawyers uh, that are broken into a variety of areas, you know, uh, technical skills, professionalism, execution, um in a, in a series of levels, and all of our associates now are sort of ranked and compensated based on where they sort of lay across those those core competencies. Um, and so, so it's each- not a
0: lockstep payment, it's rather a different sort of...
2: Um- Co- correct. I mean, basically, as part of your review, I mean, each, each level has, you know, an associated rate and salary, and there are minor distinctions within the level, the levels, but, you know, to, to sort of get that next kind of Compensation jump, you need to be promoted. You know, a promotion decision needs to be made for the next level. You know, levels one, two, and three generally equate to junior, mid level, and senior associates, and a level four person is someone we generally expect will be made a partner, you know, w- within a few years' time. Um, so, I mean, you we sort of set up a system where you have kind of a series of evaluations that are made at several points during an associate's career as opposed to kind of, you know, social promotion where you're a year older, so now your pay has gone up and your rate has gone up. Um, And we sort of focused our training on sort of really making sure that we're hitting at those core competencies, um, which are not necessarily task-based. It's not, you know, write an 8K. It's, you know, write clearly and concisely and focus on your audience and make sure that you're conveying your point. And that, that, so they're applicable across all of our practice groups. Um, but, I mean, I, I think that with, with those in hand plus the training, I think our associates now feel that they have a much better sense of what it is they're supposed to be doing. Um, I think a lot of times young associates come out of law school, particularly, in you know, the transactional practices, going back to some of the things that Bill said before, and, and they've never done anything like they're being asked to do on a daily basis. Um, as part of a transactional practice, because law schools traditionally have sort of skewed towards the litigation side of the house, um, I think that you know the rise of transactional training programs in law schools is going to be very helpful. And there are a number of programs. I think Bill is certainly at the forefront of that thinking. There are some other programs here in Philadelphia at Drexel University. They have a nice program that they're working with, and you know around the country, but. I think that what we're really trying to do with the training program and what we've the feedback that we've gotten so far is that the, they, they feel much more self-confident, you know, to tackle unfamiliar tasks um, and, and sort of, you know, have a good roadmap for their own development. Um, again, it's it, it goes back to creating that that value proposition. They know, you know, for, for a few year, you know, a few months at the beginning, they're going to be in training, they're going to be paid a lower salary, but we're really making an investment in your development so that when you come out of this – you're going to be in a much better position to succeed going forward.
0: Perhaps it's too early to tell, but do you have a sense of how this training program might affect turnover? Because that seems to be a problem general counsels have is the young associates don't stay for very long often, but oftentimes they don't stay because they don't like the work. So do you have a sense about how yeah. the you're in?
2: It, it is a little early to tell. I mean, you know, normal normal sort of attrition and turnover has basically been suspended for the past couple of years, quite frankly, kind of given where the economy is at. I mean, the, there haven't been a lot of, you know, legal jobs out there. I mean, things are sort of slowly coming back to life. Uh, I think we'd like to think, and, and certainly, you know, with the commitment that the firm has made to these folks, we'd like to think that they recognize that uh, and have – you know, a, 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 a certain sense of loyalty to the firm that, you know, look, you're you're going to be doing interesting work. We've made a commitment to training you, um, you know, and, and hopefully people will recognize that.
0: And, Mike, I, I'm curious, for most general counsels, do you think, they, do they feel there's a value in building relationships with associates early in their career, or is that better left to the mid-year and more senior associates who perhaps do more work for them?
1: It's like so many of these things, it's all over the lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, You'll get a lot of general counsel say, I just don't care. Tell that firm they've got to bring their costs down, and I don't care what they do. I think more of us, uh, first of all, really enjoy working with the youngsters. It's one of the joys of the profession is meeting these folks uh, and watching them grow. At Stanford, I think, you know, we brought three firms in on a fixed price. They had our total portfolios. They had offices on our premises as if they were in house. And I told the firms, and this was 15 to 20 years ago, I want your junior associates on our matters. I want them to have the joy that we were their first real client. And, And I know they're never going to lose a case and they're going to do great work. And they did. They performed remarkably well. They worked with the deans directly. They worked with the president of the university directly. One of them was a fourth-year associate handling all of our technology licensing, and that's a big issue at Stanford and other major universities. The head of that office called me six months into him and said, we love X. I assume he's a partner. I said, no, he's a fourth-year associate. They said, this is unbelievable. That's the best work we've ever seen. So, and then what I used to tell the associates at Morrison, and I think we're going to see this coming back again, as the junior associates link up with their junior colleagues at companies, both the executives and the in-house lawyers, they're going to grow together. And you'll find that 10 and 20 years later, the heads of various units or even the CEO of the company's relationship with the partner at the firm developed because they worked together when they were both in second year.
0: Okay. And I'm curious, for those young lawyers you worked with at Stanford who are a little older now, have you kept track of them? Are they still absolutely. in the practice? No, absolutely. And they up to? Them.
1: Absolutely. They doing, they're doing very, very well. Although I'll, I'll share with you one other story. One, Many of them would – it, it isn't this current fad of secondment where you kind of lend an associate. They were really our team. Um, but, and some participated one or two days a week, but some were on our premises for 18 months at a time. But I used to take them out for lunch before they headed back to a given firm. And I'd say, now, you've learned how to give answers. You're, you're, you're loved by these clients. You cannot do this when you get back to your firm. If you do, if you just give answers rather than writing memos and all, you're not going to be deemed partner material. And they'd look at me like, yeah, 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 yeah. Almost every case, I'd get a call two, four months in to say, wow, were you right. Hmm. What I hate to do at the firm is so different from what I was doing with you.
5: Steph, can I, Stephanie, can I just uh, just make one comment on what Mike had to say? Absolutely. Uh, uh, this is Bill Henderson regarding and uh, uh, just the general tenor of the conversation. Uh, who could disagree with the proposition that we should have a low-leverage environment where there's low attrition, uh, I mean, uh, where there's a lot of mentoring going on? I mean, that's definitely a great way to train lawyers. But in a world uh, where we have legal process outsourcers like uh, – like uh, Leah, and, and we're trying to control costs, and we've historically over the last 50 years had this great surge in legal demand. That demand is flattening out, at least uh, domestically, and uh, realistically, law firms are going to be moving into an environment where they're going to be fighting over market share. And uh, and as much as it is appealing, is this low leverage? Uh, model is with extensive training and almost no attrition, uh, you know, when you make somebody a partner, y- 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 you know, you're, you're, you're constraining yourself a- economically. You should add another associate to keep the, uh, the the pie steady. I don't know if there's enough work domestically under the traditional law firm model uh, to, to have all firms adopt the model. I, I think that that's unrealistic.
1: Although, remember, if they're not our over average profit per partner. All right, fair enough. As many people partner as possible gives flexibility and compensation. Everyone doesn't have to keep rising up. It's just this idiocy that we all have to have a high average profit per partner. Thus, we can't make many partners. Ed Morrison and Forrester, one of our former chairmen, who later became president of the American Bar Association, used to truly advocate, why don't we make them partner after two years? We know who's going to be good. Let's have them be part of this. And related to that, a number of us have been trying to get the American lawyer to publish next to average profit per partner, the annual survey, two other metrics, turnover and leverage. Because as a general counsel, I don't care what average profit per partner is, but if I see two comparable firms and one has high leverage and high turnover and the other low leverage and low turnover, I instantly know where I'm going to get value. I don't need to know anything more than that.
0: Paul, what do you think of that?
3: I I think Mike's right. I mean, I think it's it's uh it's a good indication not only of of um the likelihood of, of an associate being appropriately engaged and connected to a client's work, but it also reflects the the firm's success in uh in in retention and training and engaging that associate uh, emotionally, intellectually, et cetera and, and you know, happy, satisfied, excited, engaged people do better work. So I think it makes sense. Yeah, and, and from I, where
6: I sit, that, I, I, that I, I same just, as. Oh, oh I
3: sorry. I just kind of add, yeah, add one, one comment, um, and this this kind of goes to the you know kind of the direction of the profession and, and the and the leverage question. I, I I think that actually the comment made earlier more argues for, and I'm talking now about kind of the question of how you know how many partners can we can we have and. And can can this can this model continue? Is isn't the profession, in a sense, oversaturated? Don't we have excess capacity? I think the answer to all those questions is yes. I, I think there is excess capacity in in this in this profession. I I think that uh, efficiencies. It's actually surprising to me that that efficiencies um, haven't been more quickly adopted. And frankly, I think more than just what's going on in traditional legal outsourcers, Uh, You know, real technological innovation uh, hasn't arrived in in law practice yet, and it will. And, of course, capital markets are now encroaching internationally and will at some stage, I suspect, domestically. So the profession is going to change a lot, and what I would say to that is that makes it all the more important that the people that that you hire actually have the kind of judgment and creativity and problem-solving ability that ensures that they're not commodity providers because all that commodity work should be – Absorbed in the in, in the market and absorbed very quickly.
0: Lee, you were going to add something.
6: Yeah, I was just gonna to, echo, to say that if you, if you actually made some of these associates um, partners earlier, or because you do know you, you can see which ones are going to cut it, which ones can't, which ones have judgment, which ones don't, and and um, but if you, if you get them invested in the ownership of the firm and, and, the, and the you know the purpose of the business of the law firm. Um, earlier, you're, you're going to get more out of them. But but from where I sit, too, that, that same associate doesn't want to do the work that, that I'm offering from a legal outsourcing um, perspective. I mean, they, they want to be doing higher value work. And, and at the same time, as we teach these folks how to be lawyers, um, if, if you do it early enough, you can teach them to be better business people as well. And ultimately, that, too, will benefit the firm. If you, you teach them how to delegate work and not do um, tasks that aren't um, worthy of their time themselves. I mean, it will just, you know, it, it will continue to yield more productive, more efficient, and then more profitable um, uh, law firms. And it's just a, it's just a different way of, of thinking about it. I think that, that right now some of the law firms are so fearful of what is happening in the market and preserving those big um, uh, partner percentages that that taking a step back and looking at it from uh, much more of a business perspective, I think, would really um, change things. Okay. Well, everyone, I think that's everything
0: I have. Does anyone want to add anything else?
5: Just that you've been wonderful, Stephanie.
0: (laughs) Thank you. All right. And I also want to thank you all so much uh, for joining me today. I really appreciate it. This ABA Journal podcast was brought to you by Westline Next building on the strength of Westlaw to bring you the next evolution of legal research. Their most significant innovation in 30 years is a complete research system that gives you confidence you found the most relevant information, and it elevates productivity with intuitive workflow tools. Learn more at westlawnext.com.